First of all, I want to thank everybody that's been praying for me and for my wife. Your prayers are working. I'm standing here tonight. And about a week ago, I would not have thought that was going to be possible. And, uh, and I'll share a little bit tonight about some of what God brought me through and some of the things of... And you get a chance to have to sit down for or lie down for 10 days. God gets a chance to talk to you about some things he doesn't when you're busy doing his work. And uh, before I get into some any of that, I want to just mention two things. First of all, if you're a visitor here, we don't normally decorate our stage with uh, wildlife and things like that. We are in the middle of our week of vacation Bible school. We've got about 60 kids that have been coming every morning from 9 to 12 and having a wonderful time. We My wife and I sat in on the end of this morning session. They're learning some valuable things about what God's given to us, peace and joy and God's provision. And it's just wonderful to see the excitement these kids have. And when, when they, as Jen asked them, you know, to quote a verse, they're jumping up and down. i got to be careful. They're jumping up and down and they're quoting verses. And it just to, to get that instilled in children at that age. One of the missionaries we're very closely associated with, the Rackleys, their whole mission in southern Mexico is to children. And the means that they use are vacation Bible schools. In fact, I talked to Beverly just uh, Tuesday, and they were between ones. Last year they reached, they, they brought 10,000 kids to the Lord in southern Mexico through vacation Bible schools. So they're very powerful. So. The other thing I wanted to mention to you before, and we're going to pray before we get into the message um, I had a, I heard from Miriam Brown today. She called me today, and it's the first time I've had been able to talk to her for a little while. And she's um, reason I mentioned it tonight is she's undergoing uh, surgery tomorrow. When they did the radiation treatment, they discovered that they cut a small hole in her intestine, so they're going to go in there to to repair it tomorrow. But I got to tell you, she sounded the best I've heard her in about four months. And although the doctor's report isn't any better yet, she's getting better. And they don't understand it, <laughs> but we understand it. So we're going to pray together, and just if you remember to keep her in prayer tomorrow. The Father, we come to you now. You have linked us together with our sister, Father. She is part of the fabric of what you've done here. And so we come today in a, tonight in a very special relationship with her, and we pray most of all for this surgery tomorrow, Father, that you would guide the doctor's hands Give the doctor the surgeon wisdom, Father. Give her peace and Buster and her family peace, Lord. And we just pray for a complete victory in this surgery and a complete and prosperous and, and painless recovery, Father, that she may recover far faster than the doctors imagine. And we just declare that she will come through all of this adversity and, and she will finish her course. She will accomplish all that you've called her to do. The things that you spoke over here to, the, earlier this year by the Spirit will come to pass, for we've not let them go. And we thank you and declare it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we continue to pray tonight for the Word of God. We thank you for strength in my body. Thank you for the anointing of your Spirit, Father. For the anointing of your Spirit gives us life. And we thank you for the Word of God. May it go forth with accuracy, with precision, and in the power of the Spirit. We do not come with words of man's wisdom, but in the power of your Spirit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I thought we had finished this. But as I was coming over, I came into the office a little bit yesterday to attend a staff meeting and then was over here for just a little bit today. And uh, on the way over, I'd asked Pastor Joseph to be ready for tonight just in case I really wasn't sure that I could do this. But I, um, something dropped in me on the way over. And uh, it really ties in with what we've been studying in Ephesians chapter 6, which is the armor of God. And armor right away tells you that you're in a battle. And uh, I know we all know that, but sometimes you don't know the battle until you really fall flat on your face or face-to-face -face with something happening that you don't think is going to happen. You know, you think you know where you are. And you, you teach faith, you, you, you believe in faith, and many of you could teach it also because you've been around long enough and you've heard it long enough. But somehow when, when, when you find out something doesn't go the way you thought it's going to go and you find yourself in pain you didn't think you were going to be in and it's more than anything you'd ever experienced before, and you don't, that's when you find, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when you find out where you really are. But it's also when you find out where God really is. 
and you find out his grace and his faithfulness and his love. In the middle of that first couple of days, all the Lord could, would get through to me is I'm with this in you. I'm with you in this. And I'm with you in this, and I will bring you through this. And that's, what, that's all he, I could hear from him. And, and he's been faithful to do that. In the process, that he began to talk to me about some things. And I want to share a little bit of those with you tonight. Uh, I also had the opportunity because, again, I don't believe it was God, God that did it, but he'll use everything you give him. And it was, you know, when you're sitting down, and there's not much else to do but get in your Bible. And it also happened to dawn on me after the first day that Pastor Ray was at it, Kenneth Hagen's camp meeting, that they, they, they streamed those online so I could watch them. So we did. We watched many of those messages. And, and God really cleaned my clock on some things and reminded me of some things. And, and so I'm going to share a little bit of that with you tonight. But let me read down with you Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's what we're dealing with. We are in a spiritual warfare and we're told to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We're told, we've been over this before, we've told that the enemy that we're fighting against isn't our neighbor, it's not our spouse, it's not our boss, it's not our children, it's spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So it's the devil and his cohorts. We've talked about all this before. But starting in verse 13, he tells us what to do as a result of it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand. That word in the Greek literally means to stand against something. In the evil day, now the evil day can refer to the time we're in, but it also can refer to something you're going through. That can be an evil day also. Or sometimes a day is more than one day. It can be a period of time, it can be a year that you're going through it. But an evil period of time, and having done all to stand... Isn't that interesting? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Having done all to stand. Now, most of us have been around here long enough to have an idea of what to do, how, what, how to build our faith up, what faith is. Many of you, if you were given an opportunity and you didn't have to stand in front of a lot of people, you could teach it also. You've heard it, you've heard it enough. But the words that stuck out to me and the words that really came out to me in the midst of what of what we went through, and really we went through, is having done all to stand. What God taught me is he said, son, you're trying to stand without having done all. And I find that in many Christians' life going through difficult times, and in one of the things I saw in my own situation, was that we'll, we know what God's word says. We put our faith and trust in God, and then we're going to trust God, and I'm going to stand. So if somebody, how are you doing today? I'm standing. But he said you're only to stand having done all. That implies there's something we have to do. And we want to jump from trusting God to standing, and then wonder why we end up flat on our back. And why didn't it work, God? I was standing. But you've got to ask yourself, did I stand having done all? Because standing is when you stop doing something and you just dig your heels in. I can't really do that tonight, but you've seen me pound my heel into the ground. It's, it's, it's when you dig your heels in and you just said, devil, you're not moving me. But we try to stand in that place without having done all. You can only stand there, this is teaching us, if you've already done all that it is you're supposed to do. So we're going to talk tonight about some of what that having done all is, so that we don't just try to stand, but go back and do what we're supposed to do. One of the messages I saw, and I know Pastor Ray was there to, to see it too, was, was one of the, a pastor of a large church in, in Tennessee 
was talking about this. He says, you know, we forget that there's a responsibility that we have in faith. It's not God doing his, just God doing his part. We have a part to do. And it's kind of woke me up to some things I already knew. But it's like I knew them, but I wasn't doing them. What Pastor Ray talked about on Sunday. You know, you can, you can, you can know it. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 7, although the, he used Luke's version on Sunday, but Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about the man whose house stands in a storm and the man whose house falls in a storm. The difference is what they built their house on, the foundation. And Jesus says the difference in the foundation is between those who hear the word and do it and those who hear the word and don't do it. That means it's in our power, it's in our ability to either stand or not stand. But it requires something on our part that we have to do. And the good news is God doesn't give us things to do that we can't do. God doesn't give us things to do that are difficult to do. It's just we get lazy, distracted, forget, and all these other things we do, and we just either forget or, you know, it doesn't matter why we don't do them. If we don't do them, we can't stand. So we need to get over the excuses, well, God, I'm sorry, I forgot, or God, I, was, I don't want to admit it, I was late. It doesn't matter why we're not doing it. We don't need to justify ourselves before God. We just need to make sure we've gone back and done the things we're supposed to do. In Second Peter, I think it's chapter 1, Peter says, I have to put you in remembrance of the things you've already known. Why? Because we forget. We get distracted. God, isn't it so neat? God knows our humanity. Isn't it? It says about Jesus. He says he knew the manner of men. That's why he didn't trust us. <laughs> he knew us, and yet he loved us. He knows us. He doesn't trust us, but he loves us, and he'll meet us where we are. And so, so he knows. He he. We don't need to give him the excuses because it's not about justifying ourselves. <laughs> It's not about justifying ourselves. Well, God, you know, I'm busy. I'm doing all the. I'm doing work for you. That's why I forgot. No, it's just look. I'm not doing it. I just need to start doing it. Now, one thing I want to share with you about what what our part is is what it's not for. It's not to earn anything from God. The part we have to play is not because God's standing up there with a, one of these pitch counts that they do for the pitchers, and He's not sitting up there with a checklist and say, let's see. Um, Richard did this and he did that. Oh, he forgot to do this one. Did this now? I can't give it to him yet because he didn't do number three. Now God's see that's the law, and we're not under the law. We're under grace, but grace is received by faith, and faith has certain principles that go with it by which it operates. Just like gravity has certain principles by which see it, you know when a, when a when a plane is taking off. The pilot's not sticking there thinking, you know, I've got to do all these things so the plane will take off. In other words, earn the, the, the gravity lifting the plane off because gravity is a force. You just operate with a wing the right shape and you put force behind that. The force of gravity will lift it off the ground. You didn't earn anything. You're just cooperating with the force of gravity. Well, faith works the same way. So first of all, it is not, it is not something that's earning anything from God. In fact, when you get into this Word of God, you'll find out God's already done everything He's ever going to do for you before you were ever born. He's already done it. So your faith doesn't earn it from Him. It just puts you in a position to receive something He's already done for you. So let's just quickly take a look at Mark chapter 11. I woke up about four this morning and I just started speaking this to myself. And I got so excited I couldn't go back to sleep. But it was good. Just basic old nuts and bolts, but it's all in here. Mark 11, we're going to start in verse 22. Now, if you read commentaries on this, and I've been reading a number of them, they'll go off and say Jesus is trying to teach some symbolism about a fig tree. And the fig tree represents Israel, which wasn't bearing fruit. And eh, there may be truth in that. But if you look at what he's saying, he's teaching them about prayer. Because they go past a fig tree, Jesus goes over to eat something off it, 
It doesn't have any fruit on it. And he curses him. He doesn't jump up and down and spit and call it names. He just says, may no man eat fruit of you anymore. And he goes on. The next day they're walking back past it. And he just keeps walking on past it. It says the fig tree has withered from the roots up. Now, anybody that knows anything about trees and horticulture knows that if a tree dies at its roots one day, it's not going to be shriveled up the next day. So it's not just that it died because of some disease or something. It is a supernatural death. It's died from the root up and it's shriveled up. And they're walking past it. Jesus would have gone right on by it. It didn't. He wasn't marveling at the fact that it happened. He wasn't shocked that it did what he said. He didn't stop and teach them some lesson about the significance of the fig tree not bearing fruit in the season. He believed it would die when he said it, and it did, and he didn't marvel at that. He walked right on by it. But Peter says, whoa, Lord, the fig tree you cut, look, it's died from the roots up. It's shriveled up. Jesus now sees this as a teaching opportunity. So what he's about to teach them is what this is all this section of scripture is about. He's teaching them how to receive something from God, which is what we're talking about. So let's look at what he says. We're going to start in verse 22. Starts out by Jesus answered and said to them, "Have faith in God." Now literally in the Greek it says have the faith of God. The word God there is in the genitive, which is a possessive. In other words, have God's faith. And some translations, not many, will say have the God type of faith. But have faith in God. We'll just stick with that. For assuredly I say to you, now he's going to teach him a principle, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, you've heard me, heard me say this before. It was something that when I was going through a struggle early this year, and I just meditated on the Scripture and meditated on the Scripture, spoke it to myself and spoke it to myself. and spoke. It was somewhere right over here on a, one afternoon. I was in here just speaking this verse over and over and over again to myself. All of a sudden, it hit me. See, that's how you get insights. It's not the first time you say it. It's over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until it begins to break through and dawn on you. That's part of what we're going to talk about tonight. Somewhere over there, it suddenly dawned on me. The words are, it says in here, because I was probably quoting the King James, Verily I say unto you, And it's like the Spirit of God just highlighted in my mind those words, Jesus saying, I say unto you. And I've talked to you about this before, but I'm just bringing you back to this. That means if Jesus said it, it's got to be just as valid as everything else Jesus said. Well, what are some of the other things Jesus said we have no problem believing? John 3.16, you must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've staked our eternal future on those words that Jesus said. What are some of the other things he said? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the great commission. We feel a sense of responsibility to take the gospel to all the world. Why? Just because Jesus said it. So when he said those things, we believe that's true. Therefore, we must do it. Something else he said, several places. This is my commandment that you love one another. So we have no problem believing those things he said. Then how can we doubt this that he said unless some things Jesus said he meant and other things he said he didn't mean? But James says, correcting us, how can you speak good about some people and evil about other people when God created both of them? Can a fountain produce pure water and salt water also? No. The same kind of water is going to come out of the same kind of fountain. And Jesus is truth. So only truth can come out of his mouth. So if Jesus said it, 
It has to be true. Now, what is it he said? Well, he's talking to his disciples. Well, let's look at what he said. Verse 23. Assuredly, or verily, I say to you, whoever. Now, if he was addressing this and giving this instruction to just the disciples, he would have said, you. But this word, whoever, must mean the same thing that Jesus meant when he said, whosoever, over in John chapter 3, when he said, whosoever shall believeth on him, not just select ones, not just the disciples, but whosoever should believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, you and I have based our eternal foundation, our eternal future on being included as one of those whosoevers. So whosoever here must include the same whosoevers that it means in John chapter 3 and some other places. So he's talking to us. His word is just as true here as it is in every other place where he says something to do. So let's look at what he says to do. Because somehow it freezes in our brain because it doesn't fit in with what we were raised to do, even raised in church to do. But it's what Jesus said. Elsewhere he says, the traditions of man have robbed you of what the word word of God has said. So we can't go with what man's taught us. It's what does he say? And learn to take him at his word. Well, what does he say to do? Whosoever, that means it includes you. Whosoever shall say. Now, what do you use to say with? In other words, open your mouth and speak. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, mountain represents any obstacle that's in your way. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be taken up and cast, removed and cast into the sea. Here's the condition. And shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he said shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now in this verse, there's an instruction given to us, which is what we're talking about. And there's God's promise of what he'll do. There's our side and there's his side. And many of us are trying to stand waiting for God to do his side, but we haven't done our side. So we're waiting for God. Let's break it down. What's God's side here? And you shall have whatsoever he saith. God's side is to make sure you have it. But notice what God's promised to make sure you'll have. Look at this. But believe that what so things will be done. He will have whatever God wants for him. What? Wait a minute. See, I haven't been up here in a while, so I may not be reading clearly. He shall have whatever is God's will. No? There must be something wrong with my Bible here. What does it say? He shall have whatever... He, not God, you say. Which tells me that unless I've said something, unless I've said something, he can't shall have it yet. Because his promise is to make sure I have what I've said. Now, that's very much like, and we don't have it here, fortunately, when we talked about the sword of the Spirit. Remember me up here with the sword of the Spirit? Because what was the sword of the Spirit? It was the Word of God. And what we talked about is when we speak God's Word, the angels of God take that sword and they enforce it in the spirit realm. Here's the same principle. God's commitment is to bring to us What we said. So part of the having done all is having said what we want. Now let me ask you a question. What is it you've been saying? 
Because most of us, including yours truly, I've discovered, has been saying what I already have, not what I want. I was thinking early this morning when I was awake of Brother Charles Capps when he was here and his teaching, because he has a very powerful, simple teaching on this, about calling the dog. So Spot's over there in the field somewhere, and you don't just keep talking to Spot about being over in the field. You call him to come here when he's not here yet. You, te- you call him what you want, not what you have. Oh, wow, that's crazy. But isn't that what he says? So you've got to decide whether you're going to go with what you think, what your parents thought, what your Sunday school teacher thought, maybe your former pastor thought, what all kinds of religious people think, or you're going to go with what Jesus said. You've got to decide what you're going to believe. What Jesus said or what other people's traditions that you've adopted are, you choose. And the results in your life will be based on your choice. But it's not heresy to do this, because then Jesus is what Pastor Sam used to call a heretic. (laughs) Then he's a heretic, because the Son of God, the head of the church, is saying to do this. Now, there's some other things in here we're to do. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he said shall come to pass. That's another thing that we're to do before we stand. That we stand not having completed yet. Oh, we may start it, but it's not starting it. It's having done all to stand. So when that part's done and you're finished doing that part, that's when you're to stand because your role is done. Now it's God's role to produce. But we're trying to get God to produce something that we haven't finished birthing in our heart. Because this is all about what's been sown just as Pastor Ray talked about on Sunday so wonderfully, sown in our heart. Notice, it's what you believe in your heart. By the way, how did you get saved, Romans 10 says? You believed in your heart and you declared with your mouth. That's how you got saved. Well, it doesn't stop there. Everything else we receive from God is by believing in our heart, and by declaring with our mouth, and then God provides what we've said. So it starts with believing in our heart, then once we believe in our heart, we declare with our mouth, and as we've learned before, we talked about renewing the mind, one of the ways you believe in your heart is you start saying it with your mouth. That's how I got this insight, by saying it over and 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 over again, till your mind gets bored, shuts down, and it begins to drop down in your heart. So let's, um, let's go over to Joshua chapter 1. And let's look at some of this else that we shall have done. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, so just so you understand, this was a very difficult time very challenging time for Joshua, who is now the leader. Not only has Moses died, but Moses left him with several million rebellious people with a responsibility to get them somewhere they don't want to go, and they're complaining about where, they, where, where, where they're blaming God for taking them out. They're blaming Moses, and Moses has the audacity to die and leave Joshua with this mess. And so God comes to him in his faithfulness. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that God spoke, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. In other words, I'm not changing what you're supposed to do. The assignment's the same. 
Just because Moses has died. Remember Moses. Moses is the one that went up on the mountain. God would appear to Moses, spend 40 days with him, give him written instructions on what to do, give him a vision for building the church, give him all these things, come down, miracles were performed. Moses speaks, the ground opens up and swallows his adversaries. I mean, Moses parts the Red Sea. I mean, my goodness. And he's got to follow this guy. And the people are already planning to go back, get their own leader. And now he finds himself in this situation. And so God appears to him and speaks to him. He says, I'm not changing your assignment. Verse 3, every place of the sole of your feet will tread upon which I've given you, as I said to Moses. So I'm going to, the same responsibility I gave to Moses, I've given to you. From the wilderness of Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he will be with you also. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Isn't that good to hear? Except when you realize when God tells you you've got to be strong and good courage, that implies there's some reason coming up. Because if you know, you're going to be sitting on a beach drinking iced tea, you know, watching the Olympics, you don't need to be strong and of good courage. It's only when you're going to be in spiritual warfare. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Again, here is only be strong and of good courage, that you may observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And here's the key. Here's the instructions. Here's what we are to do, because what Jesus told us is we are to declare with our mouth, speak to that mountain, tell it to be cast into the sea, tell it to get... That's what he did. If you look at what Jesus did, how he prayed, very seldom did he talk to God about a situation. In most cases, he spoke to it. Or he just told them to do something. And when they did it, like the man with the withered hand, he didn't command it and jump up and down. He didn't say, God, heal that withered hand. He just said, stretch your hand out. The key we see is in John 11, when Jesus stands at the, at the tomb of Lazarus, and he says, Father, it's the only one of the few times he actually talks to God about the situation. But the insight there is, his Father, I'm speaking out loud to you, so that when this happens, they know you did this and not me. Because I know you always do what I say. That's why Jesus didn't go around saying, God, please do this. He just spoke to the situations and he had such a close relationship with the Father, walked in such submission to the Father that he knew that whatever he said, the Father was going to back up. But he's not the only person that ever do that. In James chapter 5, talking about prayer, it refers to Elijah. Neat that, that James chose Elijah. He's an Old Testament guy. He, didn't, he didn't, wasn't filled with the Spirit. He didn't have the Spirit of God living in him. The Spirit of God would come upon him to do things. This is a man under the Old Covenant. And he refers to him and says, This man under the Old Covenant spoke to the sky and told it not to rain. And God backed him up for three and a half years. And then he told it to rain. And there's a long story there because it didn't happen right away. And God opened the sky up. In other words, when Elijah told that to rain, stop raining, it stopped raining. When God, told, when Elijah told it to rain, in other words, Elijah spoke to the sky, and God backed him up. A man under the old covenant, and James refers to him as an example that this is something we can do also. So there it is again. But the key is in what Jesus said. It's not just speaking to things, because most of us have tried this. He doesn't say try it and see if it'll work. Does he? He said, whosoever shall try speaking to a mountain? No. He says, because the key is, you must not doubt in your heart. Not your head. Your head can have all kinds of doubts. And you must believe that what you said 
is going to happen. That's not trying it out. That's knowing ahead of time that when you say it, it's going to happen. That's why verse 24 is tacked on because he says, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you already received it. When? When you prayed. Not when you see it. Not when you feel it. Not when the doorbell rings and UPS brings it to the door. But when you've asked God, you have such confidence in Him. Isn't that what verse 22 says? You have such confidence in Him that when you speak to it, you know it's done. Whether you see it or not, you know it's done. Because the done part is now God's responsibility. But how do you get there? How do you get to the place? Because you see, you can believe in your head and not believe in your heart, just like you can believe in your heart and not believe in your head. Many people have head faith. They believe it in their head until they don't see it. Or we have trouble believing in our mind because what he said to do doesn't make sense. That's what God's dealing with me about. we get to the place where we believe in our heart and don't doubt? Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law, the word, shall not depart from your library. From your lap? Notice what it doesn't say. The book of the law shall not depart from your iPod. (laughs) Now here's an important principle. One of the things God had to wake me up. We live in a time when we have so many wonderful resources. A few months ago I was awake in the middle of the night and I just, there was a book I thought, you know what, I really want to read this book. It's a, a book about an aspect of faith. At two in the morning I rolled over picked up my iPhone, went into Amazon.com, bought it, downloaded it, and was reading it in five minutes and never got out of bed. What an incredible age we live in. But the danger is we have so many books, so many CDs and DVDs out there, which are good, assuming they're teaching the Word, to encourage us, teach us principles. But ultimately, what has been given to us by God and anointed to us by God to do this work in our hearts is this book. Now, it couldn't be on your iPod, Pad, but it's this word. Speaking this word, because when we read books by other people, we're looking into what they did that worked for them. And that's wonderful. It encourages us. It gives us hope. It gives us principles. But that's not a substitute for Joshua 1.8. Taking this word. Because while I've gone into hospital rooms where people are dealing with crisis situation and they're listening to healing verses and there's nothing wrong with it. That's wonderful. But it's not listening to them ultimately that does it. It's when we take this word and we do this with it. What is that? We do not let it depart from our mouth. That means we speak it. And only it. Now that doesn't mean you're in the grocery line and you can't, you know, order something. You know, you're standing at the at the at the luncheon counter and they say, What do you want? I said, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, no, no, no. You can you can communicate. What it means is you don't start speaking things contrary to what this says. Amen. Amen. Because when we do, we take it back. I mean, some of our angels must be dizzy. We pray a prayer of faith. They're ready to go. They step out. Somebody comes along and says, How are you feeling? Oh, I just don't feel so good. Look, gotta stop and sit back again. It shall not depart from our mouth. I mean, this, 
God confronted me with this over this last week. And said, you speak the word, but you don't, you're not doing this at the level you need to do it in order to stand. That's why under this pressure you wavered. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You've done it too. <laughs> shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. The word meditate means to, when we talked about it before, it means to mutter. It means to roll it around in your mind. We've talk, it means to do the things you do when you worry about something. So we all know how to do it. We're just doing it with the wrong information. Shall meditate on it five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. No, meditate in it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do. Oh, there's something we've got to do. According to all that is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. And it's when we take the promise of God. Now let's go back. Let's go to Romans 4. Because here is the outline of faith. These are the steps of faith. But you can't do these unless you're doing Joshua 1.8. Romans 4. We'll start in verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be in accordance with grace. Grace is God's part. That's what he's done. Faith is our part so that we can receive it. Not earn it, receive it. So that the promise may be certain to all the seed. So God wants to get this promise to all of the, all everybody, but it's received by faith. So God's designed it so that all it takes is faith to receive it. So sometimes, you know, it feels like, oh my goodness, we're going to go over the edge here. Sometimes it feels as if faith, oh my goodness, i got to stand in faith. Faith is easy. It just takes work. It's not like God says you've got to go and climb Mount Everest. It's not like God says you've got to fast for 60 days or six or six hours. It's not like it's some overwhelming thing to do. These are, that's not, what I just read to you is not a physically difficult thing to do. It just requires discipline, putting our flesh down, putting our remote down. It requires doing some things we may not want to do, but it works. It's in our lap whether we're going to be able to stand or not stand. It's not in God's lap. He's done his part. It's in our lap. You see, what happens is we get people, you know, we get what, one Christian stands on the Word of God, God's Word works in their life, and there's victory. Another Christian stands on the Word of God, and, but they haven't done all these things, and then they fall flat on their face, and well, I guess it wasn't God's will. I'm going to show you a story that tells you that you can't decide whether something's God's will or not by the results. Verse 17. As it is written, this was the promise of God. So remember, we've been over these before. You've got to start with a promise of God. Because that's the only thing we have a right to... Because if God's promised something, He will do it. He's faithful. As it is written in the promise here that He made to Abraham, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of Him, in the sight of Him, whom He believed, and this is what He believed about God, who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they were exist. So when Jesus says to speak to a mountain and tell it to be cast in the sea, he's just doing what God does. God speaks to things that aren't so that they'll be. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds, the universes were formed. We don't understand it by our telescopes. We don't understand it by our science. We understand it by faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. In other words, God didn't go to Lowe's or Home Depot to put it together, he just took nothing and spoke it into existence. So God operates this way. We're told in Mark 11.22 to have God's type of faith. And then Jesus tells us what God does, we're to do. And here Abraham believed God 
that God can speak something into existence even when his wife's womb is dead and he's a hundred years old. Who in hope against hope believed so that he might become. There's the order. You've got to believe before you have. So that he might become according to that which was written, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, now the New King James and some others say he contemplated his not. But the better manuscripts, the New American Standard, the better manuscripts say he contemplated. Actually, it means he stared it in the face. In other words, he stared the circumstances in the face of his body being a hundred years old and of his wife's womb being dead, and it didn't move him. So it didn't matter what the circumstances said, it doesn't change who God is and what God can do. Because when God can raise the dead and God calls things into existence that never existed before, what difference do the circumstances make? Because they're trying to tell you it's never going to happen. But God's not limited by circumstances. Okay, then it goes on to say, without becoming weak in faith, without becoming weak in faith, without wavering in faith, being fully convinced that what God had promised, He was well able to perform. Now, I want to give you an example in Jesus' life to show you that there are times when what's required, because when what's required by the circumstances requires another level of effort. Because what we're talking about tonight is having done all to stand. So the question you need to ask yourself is, have I done all? And we'll say, Pastor, how do I know that I've done all? Because you'll believe that what you say will come to pass. I remember the first time that happened to me. Whoops. Can you hear me? Okay. I may have electrocuted myself. The first time, that'll give me energy. The first time I ever did that, I took, I had a situation in my body that had been plaguing me for years. And I took the word of it. I finally said, that's it. <laughs> this is literally what it is. I've got to do whatever it takes. Now, why it took me that long to get to that place? Because I guess I was trying to get away with less effort. Just being real with you. And that's what we do. How little do I have to do to end up with what I want? How little can, do I have to do having done all? So I, I finally had it. I had no other recourse. And when every moment of the time when I didn't have to be doing something else, I had one scripture. See, that's, we, we take too many scriptures sometimes. It just takes one. And I said it over and over and over. And the first day or so, I got bored with it. I, oh, no, no. But all of a sudden, things began to go off in me. And after about six days, one of these symptoms hit me. And I opened my mouth to speak to it. And I was shocked at the authority that came. I mean, it shocked me. The power that came out of me when I spoke to that situation. And it immediately left. And didn't come back. What was the difference? I believed in my heart something. And when I got to that place, I knew it. So if you're asking the question, am I there yet? You're not. You'll know when you get there. Say, but that sounds like work, Pastor. Well, you've got a choice. Do you want this to work in your life? Or do you want to do it on your own? There's some situations you don't have a choice. You, no, there's no answer. The doctors don't have an answer. The, you know, the, the, your, the job market doesn't have an answer. You're, you're in a hopeless situation. But with God, it's never hopeless because God is the God of all hope. Two situations. I'll let close with these. In Mark chapter 5, turn over there quickly. There's several others we could use. This is one of my favorite stories. Because it's just so powerful. Oh, it's in the, the Gospels, isn't it? Yeah. Mark chapter 5. 
not going to have a chance to read through the whole thing. This is the story of Jairus coming to Jesus. His daughter was at the point of death. And it's interesting. Before Jairus can tell him what he wants, Jesus said, I'll come. I'll come. Jesus went with him in a great multitude. Look at verse 24. Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now what happens in verse 25 is a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years comes up, touches the hem of his garment. She's healed. Now I won't have time to go through all this, but notice the order there. She touches his garment. Power goes out of him. She's healed. Jesus feels the power go out, turns around and asks, who touched me? Which means she was healed before he knew who touched him. So if God's will is to only heal certain people, then Jesus would have needed to know who touched him before he healed her because she might not be on the A-list. <laughs> but by the time he found out who she was, she was already well. Well, what made the difference? Because it was her faith, he said, that made her well. That means you can have faith to make you well. Whosoever shall say. That means it's up to us. So that's happening. Of course, that delays everything. And, and uh, so what we're going to pick up now. Uh, let's go. Okay. Verse 35. While he was speaking, there came from someone from the rulers, the synagogue's house, saying, your daughter's dead. Now, when the Jairus came to him, she was dying. Now she's dead. Dead means it's too late. That's when you unplug everything and you stop administering medicine and you start preparing for other things. That, those words must have rung in Jairus' ear. And I'm sure he had an opportunity to get mad at that woman because if just she hadn't delayed him, maybe Jesus would have gotten there on time. But here's such a powerful lesson about God. Verse 36, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, see, words out of his mouth are so important, Do not be afraid, only believe. What's he saying to him? I didn't say it's too late. I don't care what your servant says. I don't care what everybody else here is thinking. Look at me. I didn't say it's too late. And until I say it's too late and you say it's too late, it's not too late. Now notice what Jesus has to do here, though. This is what I want to show you. Having done all to stand. Look what happens here. Verse 37. Now, we saw earlier, there's a throng with him, including 12 of his disciples, his close staff. Now, he says, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now, Jesus didn't just do things for show. Jesus did things for a reason. Therefore, there must have been a reason why he had to change what, was a, what, what, what he was doing. There had to be a reason why he had to leave nine of his staff and everybody else here. Why? Because what was going to be required now when he got to that girl required a level of faith beyond where the other nine were and where the crowd was. So here, to have done all required increasing the level of what he was going to do because the obstacle, the challenge, was now required a higher level of faith. Mark chapter 9. Story of Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down and there's a commotion going on. Verse 14, he came to his disciples. There was a commotion going on. One of them comes to him to teach her. Verse 17, I brought my son, and he has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the fire. It becomes rigid. 
And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not cast it out. So obviously it wasn't God's will, right? I mean, they prayed and they didn't get the answer they prayed for, so it must have been... God always answers prayer sometimes yes and sometimes it's no, so this must have been, this must have been a no. Well, let's read on. And he answered and said to them, It must have been the will of God that he not be healed. No, that's not what it says. Oh, faithless generation. That was not a compliment. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Then they brought him, the boy, to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell to the ground and wallowed. Very often when you bring the situation closer to Jesus, it gets worse. So you'll quit. So he asked the father, said, how long has it been happening? He says, from his childhood. He's often thrown him both into the fire and the water to destroy him. Look at this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus 23 says, if you can believe, all things are possible. All things are... Now, did he mean that or didn't he? There again, he said something. Does he mean that or doesn't he? Immediately the father cried, cried out to him with tears, Lord, I believe... Help my unbelief. See, it's okay to recognize where you are and then ask for help. God knows. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly, came out of him, became as one dead. And he said, Oh, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he came into the house, the disciples asked him probably, This is what I want you to see. Why could we not do it? That was good that they asked the question. Why could we not do it? Now, they had done things like this before. They'd gone out. Jesus in, John, in Luke chapter 10 sent them out to cast out devils, to raise the dead. They came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they were rejoicing. He said, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your name, names are written in the... So they had seen demons come out. But this one didn't come out. And they went to him. So you need to do it when some go, go, Why? Notice what he says. This kind comes out not but by prayer and fasting. Now, some translations don't include fasting, but some of the other Gospels do. In other words, this type requires something a little more. My point in these two stories is to show you that we can't just use cookie-cutter approaches. Having done all, Stand. Having done all, stand. Say, well, Pastor, I'm not sure whether I've done all. Well, what you can do is what you do know to do. Do you believe in your heart? Really believe in your heart. Do you know it's going to happen? Or is there doubt there? Are you speaking? What are you speaking with your mouth? Are you speaking what you prayed to happen? Or do you pray something and then speak other things? Because more and more I see in the Word of God how critical it is what we say. We shouldn't walk around as they did a couple years ago, afraid, oh my gosh, I can't say that. But what are you declaring over your life, over your family? What are you declaring? Because Jesus said, what you, if you speak to the situation and believe in your heart, God can then do what you spoke. But you've got to believe in your heart. How do you do that? This word of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but I shall meditate on it day and night, that I may observe to do all that is written therein. Then I shall make my way prosperous and have good success. Have you done all before you stand? We stand when we finish doing all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because your word says that we are to get understanding. And we've come tonight to seek understanding and we trust tonight, Father, that through your word and by your spirit, you have given us understanding. Now, Lord, what we've received tonight also are seeds Seeds of your word that by your spirit have been sown into our hearts. And we trust that the ground of our heart has been 
fallow ground, open ground, ready to receive. Where it's not, Father, break up the clods and the hardness. We pray, Father, that in the days ahead, that the Spirit of God will water that word and bring it back to our remembrance and give us instructions and understanding of how to apply it in our lives that we may indeed have good success and make our way prosperous. For the grace to do that, we thank you in Jesus' name.